Thank you, gentlemen, for assisting us today, and you did a good job. Good job. You like the little things that just make one pass? That's something different. Now, don't get, don't, it's different. Yeah, it's different. But it sure saves a lot of time, and it also saves the interim pastor from worrying that we're going to drop one of the trays. So <laughs> it just cuts that out in half. So amen and amen. If you have your Bibles, be finding the book of Isaiah, page 891 in my Bible. And when you find Isaiah, go to the 53rd chapter. Isaiah, probably the most preeminent, preeminent, the, the most well-versed prophecy in the Bible certainly one of the major, major prophets. Isaiah's work is the third longest literary work in the Scriptures. Only Jeremiah and the Psalms are longer. And since the Psalms is an accumulation of, it's not a complete, it's different, it's special in its own right. So you could say that it is the second largest in literary volume in the Bible. This morning, I'm speaking under this subject, the center to what is central. The center to what is central. Now, that doesn't sound like much to you. I know. When the Lord gave me that, I thought, that doesn't make much sense. But that's what he said I should use. And when we get to the close of the service, I'll tell you why the title is the center of what is central. What is central in the Bible, Old Testament or New Testament, is Jesus Christ. Dr. W.A. Criswell used to say, cut the Bible anywhere and it bleeds. (laughs) He means in type, analogy, illustration, or prophecy, all the Bible is about Jesus Christ. Old Testament, New Testament. The the prophetic writings, the the gospel writings, it, it doesn't matter. Anywhere you find the Bible, you're going to find Jesus Christ and type, analogy, illustration, or prophecy. Somewhere in the shadows is Jesus. And here in the book of Isaiah, we have a foreview of Calvary that is absolutely remarkable. It is so clear. It is so comprehensive. It is so undeniable that some of our friends, some of our Jewish friends, actually have trouble with Isaiah 53. In fact... They excluded in a lot of their liturgy. Either they exclude it and ignore it, or they say that the suffering servant, who I'll talk to you in a moment, who is the the person here being talked about, they say it's Israel. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you have to go through some exegetical gymnastics to, to believe that this is written about Israel. The, the language, the verbiage, the nouns that are used here, it, you just, no. <laughs> this is about a person. It's not about a nation. This is about an individual. Now, as you know, the Bible, the chapters and verses are, are, are not inerrant. They have been done by man to divide up so it reads better. In this case, I think chapter 53 begins at chapter 52, Verse 13, 
Because when you go back to chapter 52, verse 13, you get a running start into chapter 53. So if you have your Bibles open to the 53rd chapter, just look back up in the 52nd chapter. Verse 13, he says, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. As many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. What this is talking about is the beating that Jesus Christ took, the suffering servant. The Bible says his visage was so marred he was not recognizable as a human being. A few years ago when the popular movie came out that majored on some of the physical abuses that were done at Calvary, people were aghast. Folks, it was nothing compared to the real. That's a movie. And they tried to make it as gory as they could, but they still didn't touch it because the person was still recognizable as a human being. The Bible here says he was beaten so he was not, his mother wouldn't have recognized him. And again, we're talking about Calvary. Verse 15, so shall he sprinkle many nations. And don't you love it? Here in an Old Testament passage, talking about a New Testament concept, talking about what Christ will do, they use an Old Testament terminology for the sprinkling on the mercy seat of what Christ would do as he gave his royal red ruby blood. The king shall shut their mouths at him, for that which had not been told them shall they see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. Now we get to chapter 53. But the setting here is the suffering servant of verse 13. That's who's being talked about, a person, an individual. And so this morning, I want you to see Calvary in the Old Testament. And it is the center to that which is central. It is center to that which is central. First of all, I want to see approaching Calvary. That's verses 1, 2, and 3. Now listen to this. Who shall believe our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? What's being talked about here is the power of God, the arm of God, the, the, the strength of God. For he, not it, for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of the dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. What the Bible is saying is when they saw Jesus Christ, he didn't have the rock star look. He didn't have the Hollywood leading man look. There was nothing about him that was appealing with regard to him being a handsome individual. But there was something about his personage that you were drawn to. There was something about who he was that was deeper than his appearance. Listen, appearance can come and go. Appearance can be good or bad. But there was something deeper about him. There was something about him. You were not attracted to how he looked. You were attracted to who he was. And so the Bible here describes Jesus. He is despised and rejected of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we, 
Again, here's the personal pronoun. We hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Verse 4, surely he hath borne our griefs. Again, to try to make this a nation, you have to shift your mind into neutral and back up. I mean, when, when, it, when it's talking here about what he has done, he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. Now, just get ready right here. This, is, this gets good right here. The word wounded in the Hebrew means pierced. Pierced. This was written 750 years before Jesus Christ was born. But this was also written 800 years before crucifixion was known as a means of execution. In Old Testament times, they stoned people. They didn't pierce them. So here, tucked away in an Old Testament passage, is a picture of crucifixion, not a picture of stoning. How did Isaiah know this? Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That's how he knew it. This is spirit-inspired writing. God guided and directed what he was saying so that it would transcend centuries and speak to us today. The Bible says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. What he's talking about here is substitutionary atonement. It's talking here about not penalty for himself. Jesus didn't die for himself. He died for others. He took upon himself our transgressions, our problems, our situation. And what he suffered, he suffered for us because of us, contemplating us, understanding us, loving us. Oh, we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. We're talking now about appropriating Calvary. All of this is about what was appropriated in Calvary as Jesus Christ bore our sorrows, bore our griefs, carried our sin to the cross. But last but not least, I don't, I don't want you to miss approaching Calvary and appropriating Calvary, but apprehending Calvary. And by apprehending, I mean by understanding Calvary. That's in verses 7 and following. The Bible says he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He has brought it as a lamb to slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is he dumb. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off. And the word cut off there in the Hebrew means a violent physical death. He died violently. He didn't go sit down under a tree, take a nap, and just go to sleep and die. He was cut off out of the land of the living. For, why? For the transgressions of my people was he stricken. And he was made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he hath done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. He's the sinless sacrifice for sin. And he had to be sinless in order to be sacrificed. If he'd have been a sinner, he could have died for his own sin, but he couldn't die for our sin because he had to be like a lamb without spot or blemish. 
so that he could take on him our sin. And God hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And he, was, and he made his grave with the wicked. He was on a cross with thieves and with the rich in his death. <laughs> That's Joseph of Arimathea, his tomb, the rich man. One moment he's over here with thieves, and the next man he's in a rich man's tomb. And all of it Isaiah captured 750 years before Jesus Christ was even born. He's made his way with the rich in his death because he had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. And then verse 10. Verse 10 is one at the, at the West Campus. I said, I wish Dr. Welch would come up here and explain this because I, my mind can't explain it. Verse 10 says, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased the Lord for him to go to the cross. Now, you know, folks, Susan and I have gotten to know you folks pretty well. I, I know a lot of you folks. Not everybody, but I know a lot of you folks. And I really do like you. I mean, I, I do. I like hanging around with you. But there's not a one of you I'd give my son for. Not a one. Nor would I let him be beat up for you. Yet the Bible says the Father, it pleased him. You see, you have to understand that in the council hall of the Almighty, back before there was anything that was, Jesus was the sacrifice for sin. Adam and Eve didn't slip up on God. God knew there was going to be sin. God made provision for sin before there was sin. He set in motion everything that is. That's why we can trust Him because He's sovereign. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. He's God. And so... The son going to the cross was not a surprise to the Godhead. Before time began, Jesus Christ, the Bible says he was afflicted and ready to die from his youth up. Jesus Christ knew the cross was coming. And he knew the price that the cross would extract. But the father said, I'm pleased. Why? Because he loves you. And he loves me. And he knows what a dirty, rotten sinner you are. And what a dirty, rotten sinner I am. And the only way for you to get to heaven is through the payment that his son would make for your sin. That's why sin's important. That's why we don't laugh at sin. That's why we don't mock sin. Sin is what Jesus Christ went to the cross for. Not his, but ours. And the father was pleased because payment was going to be made for you and for me. What we just witnessed this morning, the broken body and the shed blood, that's for you and I. He hath put him to grief 
when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. Again, personal pronoun. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of God shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. For his knowledge shall my righteous servant. There's the servant again from chapter 52, verse 13. Justify many. For he, again, he, not it. For he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion of the great. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bare the sin of many. And made intercession for the transgressors. Central to the Bible is Calvary. Now, there's some other stuff. Amen. But the central message of the Bible is Calvary. God's love stretched out like this. That's the message of the Bible. And I'm going to tell you, any denomination that gets away from the central message of the Bible is destined for failure. You can talk about all the other good things that we do, and we should. But we never, ever, ever minimize Calvary. Calvary is the central issue of the Bible. Now, as I said a moment ago, I know the, the, the numbering of the verses and the chapters. We've done that. Man's done that. I believe they were guided by God, but they're not inerrant. In fact, I just showed you a place where I think verse 13 of 52 really starts chapter 53 in my humble but correct opinion. So that, that's open to debate. But it's interesting to me where Isaiah 53 is. It's exceedingly interesting. Maybe it's by happenstance. I don't know. But when you look at the, the numbers, and being an ex-executive pastor, I like numbers, Brother Liz. I, I get into numbers a lot, maybe more than I should. If you look at the Bible, the Bible has how many books in the Bible? 66. Old and New Testament, 66 books. How many chapters in the book of Isaiah? 66. Our Old and New Testament is divided. Old Testament has 39 books. New Testament has 27 books, making the 66 books of the canon of Scripture. It's interesting to me that in the book of Isaiah, there is a major break at chapter 40. In fact, the first 39 chapters of Isaiah read like the Old Testament. The language, what's being talked about. When you get to chapter 40 through chapter 66, it reads like the New Testament. I mean, it, it's talking about the Messiah in Old Testament veiled prophecy. But it's talking about sacrifice for sin. It's talking about transgression. It's, talking, it, it's distinctly different from the Old Testament. Those 
27 chapters, chapter 40 through chapter 66, are divided into three sections because of what's being written. And there are three sections of nine chapters each. And the very center chapter is Isaiah 53. That's why it's center to what is central. Is that just chance? <laughs> I don't know. When we get to heaven, you can ask God. But here in the Old Testament, in the most preeminent Old Testament prophet, in the very center of the section that moves from Old Testament typology into New Testament reality, in the very center of it is Calvary. Can the preacher get an amen? I worked hard on this. Friend, if that doesn't say something to you deep down inside, you say, well, that's just the way things worked out. Really? Really? I think it says again, the central message of the Bible is what God did with his son on that cross. And the central message of this church and any New Testament church is what God did with his son on that cross. Because it's, it's hard for me to completely understand that it pleased God to do that to his son. But then, I understand the balancing of it. Over here we have the atrocity of the cross, the brutality of the cross. But over here we have the glory of the cross. You know, I really have a problem with some folks who hang a cross around their neck. Now, if you do, I'm not having a problem with you, but I've seen folks that have a cross this big around their neck, and they'll put emeralds and jewels on it. The cross is gory. The cross is an instrument of death, and we've put the jewels on it. Maybe because of the price that was paid by the cross. This church has had a great, great history built on evangelism and missions. We're getting ready to move from this location to another location, assuming you vote. But evangelism and missions is not going to change at First Baptist Church, Daytona Beach. We're still going to be a church that talks to people about the need in their life for a Savior. And then we're going to talk to people about planning their life and the lives of others in missions. Evangelism and missions are the heads and tails of the same coin. They're the same thing. You just flip it over. So get ready, folks. What's been central to First Baptist Church of Daytona Beach here is going to be central to First Baptist Church there or wherever because it is still the central message of the cross. Jesus Christ. That's the message. That's why I called it what I called it.
Thank you very much. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege this morning of the Lord's Supper to be reminded, to remember. And Lord, thank you for Isaiah 53. I don't know if it's in a part of your providence, but it sure makes it interesting that in the midst of the most preeminent Old Testament prophet would be the cross. Right in the center of that portion that you transition from the Old Testament to the New Testament is the cross. So Lord, this morning we proclaim the cross. We thank you for the cross and for what it has purchased for us. There's one here this morning who's never appropriated the cross. They've never had satisfaction for their sin. And the only place that can be found is at the cross where Jesus Christ paid the sin debt for every person. Maybe somebody needs to come today and talk about that. Maybe there are those here today who are Christians, fine Christians, but we've let our We've let our relationship with you grow cold and dull. Maybe we need to come back to the foot of the cross and reclaim the fire and excitement that at one time was so much a part of our life. Lord, maybe there are others who are visiting and they don't have a church home. Maybe they're new to Daytona Beach and they've moved everything here but their church membership. They're looking for a church that has an exciting future, a marvelous history and past, but is not satisfied with its past, is moving forward, sacrificially moving forward to reach the next generation of people who do not know Christ. And they want to be a part of a church like that. Lord, bring them to us. Give them to us. They need to be here and we need them here to help us. Any other decision today? that will give honor and glory to your son's, our Savior's name. We ask it, and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.